Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative. Piecemeal covers topics related to eating disorders, body image, and how society may influence our thinking. Please use your discretion when listening and speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lampert. Today, we're going to spend some time considering eating disorders and nutrition in a population with some really unique risk factors and experiences, pregnant and postpartum women. We're thrilled that Katie Gant is here to help us do that. Katie is a registered dietitian who has been working in the field of eating disorders and disordered eating for over five years. She's yoga certified and a mom of two with a focus on pregnancy and postpartum nutrition, gestational diabetes, disordered eating and eating disorders, and general general nutrition. Katie is passionate about helping moms have a healthy pregnancy and postpartum period by finding health without dieting and challenging disordered eating patterns. She's the owner of Catherine Gant Nutrition, where she uses her clinical expertise and yoga training to help moms reconnect to their body and relationship to food in a positive trauma informed style. Katie focuses on mindful and intuitive eating, health at every size, and non-diet approaches when counseling clients and helping parents raise intuitive eaters. When with clients, this Florida native and now Asheville, North Carolina transplant can be found spending time with her husband and two kids. Katie, thanks so much for being here. We're really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. It's I'm always excited. I love everybody that we have on the podcast. And I'm always excited when we get other dietitians because we can get all dietitian-y and talk through that. Um, I, I love this topic and I love all your expertise and your perspectives you bring for it. So just let's dive in. You know, like all these eating disorder related, pregnancy, postpartum, eating disorders, it's pretty nuanced and pretty complex. We know pregnancy is this time of celebration and anticipation, as well as a lot of challenge and anxiety. It's complicated. And for those with a history of eating disorders, it's often really meaningful and challenging in super unique ways. I, I know that when I got pregnant, I, it was a whole new sort of like, oh, wow, this is a whole new thing that I'm going to do as a better person. So can you speak to that? Get us started by talking through how pregnancy is uniquely you know, poised to impact individuals with eating disorders or disordered eating or history of those? Absolutely. Um, it is, it is such a unique time. And I think what is so fascinating having worked in eating disorders is you really can see it manifest in different ways in pregnancy. So statistically, what we see is that going into pregnancy, we actually see a lot of people who may have been active in an eating disorder, it kind of go into a bit of a remission, which I think is a really kind of interesting and unique thing. It's usually lots of factors like, okay, this is kind of, of course my body's changing and I can justify it by this growing baby. It's also not just me anymore. There's this other little person. There's a bit of a sense of freedom around eating and pregnancy that we may not always have not pregnant. And so I think that's really fascinating. And then on the kind of flip side of that, maybe someone who hadn't as much struggle with a diagnosed eating disorder, but more disordered patterns, we can see pregnancy actually be a push into eating disorder because it's almost this opposite effect of, oh my gosh, so many things are happening to my body completely out of my control. And this is my sense of getting that back. It's so interesting to see those two opposites and, and how that really comes together and how to really tackle both of those so differently for women. 
Well, and there's so much pressure, right? I, I found myself thinking as you were talking, you know, how many, how many times do pregnant people hear comments about their body from not only their healthcare providers, but just anybody else that would like to comment. So how does that play a role in all of this? It plays such a role. And I always joke around with my clients is there's just no other stage in life in which strangers so freely comment or touch your body. Like not like, you know, like never in another world would someone come up and just like touch your stomach for that you don't know. But yet in pregnancy, people feel like it is a community event in terms of talking about your body. So that is one thing that is so jarring for people is suddenly everyone has comments, whether they're, you know, trying to be supportive or not. Usually it, it's a feeling when people are like, oh, you, you must be due any day when you might have four months left, you know, or, oh, must be twins, whatever. But then the separate thing is when we have our medical providers adding this pressure of, well, you know, gain this very specific amount of weight, but don't gain too much or, you know, oh, you're not gaining enough or, oh, if you started your pregnancy at a certain body size, oh, you should actually try and gain less. So there's so many messages that come in through a pregnancy about what your body should be doing. And that is so much pressure to try and micromanage our weight while also trying to nourish yourself and nourish a baby. One of the most interesting things that I was reading about doing research is over 90% of women are never screened for disordered eating in pregnancy at all. So if you don't provide that information or you don't yourself maybe quite realize that you have a disordered relationship with food, it's most likely never going to come up while you're with your right. OB. That makes so much sense, right? There's, you know, we know that physicians don't get enough training on eating disorders. That's an area that, that is sorely overlooked and in a population where it seems so important to know more. Hey, I'm, I'm just thrilled we're talking about it so that we can keep that conversation going. There's also that nutrition piece about, you know, people totally want to just come touch your body because they feel like they can and they also feel so free to comment on what you're eating and how much you're eating. At the same time, you know, not everybody feels like perfectly delightfully happy and, you know, digestively sound during pregnancy. And so you have people touching you and talking about what you're eating when you might feel kind of crummy. So that makes it even worse. It does. Yes. And there are times in pregnancy where you're li like living off of whatever crackers and pasta because you're so nauseous or your heartburn is out of control or, you know, you can't breathe because there's a baby pushing up into your diaphragm. <laughs> and yes, it is for people who are listening, who have not experienced pregnancy or things like that to really pay attention to how you comment on someone else's body during their pregnancy simply because you have no idea someone's internal experience and really supplies any time. We should really never comment on other people's bodies. But since we're on this topic is you just don't know someone's internal struggles or experiences in their body. And to really stay away from any discussion about what they're eating, what their body changes are like, simply just to avoid an accidental trigger or, or an accidental reinforcement of, of a possible behavior. You know, I hear 
all the time with some of my clients who struggle with restrictive eating disorders of my doctor congratulated me for not having gained a lot of weight and little do they know I'm struggling and, and I, I don't want to not be feeding myself and my baby, you know, so just really being aware. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's dive into that a little bit more. There's such a heightened focus on weight itself during pregnancy, you know, as, as healthcare in general, often weight takes center stage, but in, in pregnancy particularly, and it really reflects so much of our cultural weight bias. We understand that you observe some of that firsthand for you. Tell us about the weight changes you experienced uh, in your pregnancies and your doctor's reaction to it. I did. So I had gestational diabetes in both of my pregnancies, which I experienced a stigma just from that of medical professionals making comments about, oh, I can't believe you have that, you know, and me having to be like, well, it's a placenta issue. It's, you know, I think we have this stigma that only certain body types are at risk for diabetes and pregnancy. And then towards the end of my pregnancy, I was just really struggling to gain weight appropriately. You should be gaining weight at every visit, especially in your third trimester. And I was losing and no one checked in with me. And finally I had to say something. I said, is anyone concerned that I have lost weight our last three visits? I was like, I was like, I'm a dietitian and I'm struggling to gain weight. And no one's asked me about that. And they were even still somewhat dismissive. And I love my OB. And so I can tell it's not from an ill-intentioned place or anything like that, but just this idea that there is a weight bias that happens and that everyone has, but it's very important to be aware of and how we bring it into our practice. And that was just really eye-opening for me. I was like, you know, hello, I shouldn't be losing weight. <laughs> and you shouldn't be happy about it if, no. if you are, right? No. I understand. I really have a lot of compassion for, for the training that healthcare folks get and our, and our peers in this area, because they, they just don't get the training about how to be a little bit more sensitive or a lot more sensitive or think about things in a little bit different lens. When I was pregnant, I got my healthcare at the same place where I worked and, and helped run an eating disorder program. So they couldn't have been more heightened to who I was and, and what my dialogue might be. And every, I, you know, every appointment, they're like, what am I going to talk about now? Like, what did I say wrong this time? Uh, I really had a wonderful relationship with all the midwives I met with. And they all had that similar feedback of like, oh, this is so helpful. Just talking more about it because we don't get this training. And I just want to call out and, and sort of lift up for them the guilt that they experienced when we talked about it. And they're like, oh my gosh, I have probably said so many things wrong to so many people. And I was, you know, I just want to give them a shout out. Like they were doing the best they could with what they had and they were just operating within what they were taught. So I want to recognize all the work they do and encourage more of that thought about like, what am I saying and how will it be heard? Yes. And I think that's so great that you say that because in a lot of that research around why is it not really screened for, it's kind of a two-part system. So one is on the, the client or the patient themselves of a feeling of shame by admitting, you know, for some women who are in larger bodies and struggled with their eating disorder in a larger body, this idea of, oh, maybe they won't really believe me or something like that. 
and a lack of awareness that behaviors are disordered. But the other piece of that was when they interviewed providers about it, like, why is it that we don't screen? A big thing is like, well, I don't know what to say. I don't want to embarrass the person. I'm not sure what I even do with the information <laughs> once I have it. You know, so what if they say yes, then what? And so I think really, yes, acknowledging that even if we're not sure to practice asking questions and as providers, even if it's not something we have a lot of training in, if you're an OB or a midwife or a nurse, practice asking questions and being curious about how a person's eating or feeling about food or feeling about their body when they're pregnant or postpartum. And being open, like, hey, I don't know a lot about this, but I would I would be happy to chat with you, happy to connect you to a resource, things like that versus that fear of, oh, I don't really know. I'm not comfortable with this. So, so I won't ask, you know, I think that creates some distance and, and unintentional harm. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about your experience with the, the pregnant or postpartum clients you've worked with and what unhelpful or, or maybe helpful messages have they experienced about weight, about food, about diet in, in their healthcare, either prenatally or postpartum? Sure. So again, you know, I really do want to piggyback on what you said. We love our doctors, our providers. It's just a lack of education and training for sure. But I think the biggest thing is I see a lot of stigma against women in larger bodies and just this idea, well, they must be unhealthy or they must need to lose weight and no real investigation into, is there something happening for them? And most providers are even really unaware of things like atypical anorexia, where we can be in all different size bodies and have a restrictive eating disorder. And so I think just this idea of, oh, this person must be eating in an incorrect way. And they should be told that they need to lose weight. I've had plenty of pregnant women come to me and said, my doctor told me to lose weight. And I'm like, but you're pregnant, (laughs) but with not any screening about what they're even eating, right. Just assuming that they needed to make some sort of drastic change, no referral, usually to a dietitian, just this kind of blanketed statement without much follow-up or support. And then with a lot of my restrictive eating disorder moms is this idea of like, congratulations, you're doing so great. You're still so small, or you're going to bounce back so fast. You know, a lot of things that unintentionally fuel that diet culture or disordered pattern that's, that's already they're struggling with. Absolutely. I think there's so much of that that, and and society supports that, right? Like all of the, you know, postpartum back in my clothes, quote unquote. Yeah, exactly. That was exactly (laughs) the sentiment. Like, oh, it's so unhelpful. What advice do you have for clients that, you know, when they hear those comments that are super unhelpful, what advice do you give your clients? What strategies for coping with those, those comments, those potential triggers do you have? The biggest thing I recommend to anyone is to find your comfort level with discussion with your provider. One, just to make them aware that, hey, I have some struggles around food that you need to be aware of. 
One, just for the communication piece of, so there can be an education moment perhaps around helpful versus unhelpful conversations, but also there's medical implications at play when we struggle with an eating disorder in pregnancy. And so your provider being aware of that is important because there are some possible health concerns that we would want our team to know about. That's always the first thing I, I talk to my clients about or anyone who might be listening is find your comfort level of what you feel like you can discuss with your provider. I have even had people bring in a pamphlet with them of like, so here, I have this and here's a bit of reading material for you just in case that helps, you know, like kind of printing something out, which I know sounds silly, but sometimes it's a little bit jarring, I think, for a provider if they're unprepared. I do think I have seen a shift in terms of people being more open to those discussions. So I think providers are doing more research and getting a little bit more familiar with disordered eating and pregnancy and postpartum. But discussion's the number one thing. And even if you don't have a diagnosed eating disorder, but you are maybe just feeling like something's off, really finding someone you can talk to. If it's not your OB, finding a dietitian or a therapist, you know, someone who can maybe help you navigate that and what to do with that. It would be ideal to have a more weight neutral approach to managing pregnancy and than having weight be such a like blinking beacon in the whole process. And sometimes that really means having to have awkward conversations with your providers and awkward because they don't have the training to know how to receive them. So we really do put an unfortunate load on the, on the client to have the conversation and yet better than not, right? Better awkward than unsaid so that you can move forward. Yes. And that is hard, right? To put that much on the patient. And I, I definitely see that and that that is very hard. And I think I see it, especially with my clients who struggle in a larger body of just feeling this, they're just not going to get it. There's not going to be the response I'm looking for. I think our culture is unfortunately more accepting of a restriction low underweight body eating disorder in terms of like, oh yes, we get that. When we see, you know, binge eating disorder or something like that, where they might be struggling in a larger body, it's harder, I think, for providers to treat that with the same level of concern. And I really hate that for my moms. Yeah, absolutely. So what does a more weight neutral approach to prenatal and postpartum healthcare, particularly the nutrition part, what does that look like? I say keeping it about behaviors is what, when I do talks to providers and we talk about assessing your weight bias, which they love hearing, (laughs) is keeping it about curiosity and behaviors. So checking in about walk me through what a day looks like for you around food, Walk me through how you feel in your body. Like, how do you feel day to day in your body? What is it like for you when you're eating? Do you feel good about it? Does it feel out of control? How are you feeling energy wise, physically? Being really curious and keeping it about more behaviors and experiences around food and not making an assumption based on something you see on a scale. I think we have to start recognizing that a scale does not give us much information in isolation. (laughs) We really cannot take a lot from that. Trying to come at 
a concern you might have and an understanding of, is there a bias I'm coming into it with, which is hard to acknowledge. We, we aren't aware of our biases a lot, but then also what am I actually trying to figure out here? And is there a way to do it without even talking about a weight? Can I ask about food? Can I ask about behaviors at home around exercise or eating or things like that? Absolutely. I join you in that. It's, you know, weight is not a behavior. So why are we talking about it as if it is? There are health behaviors. There are things we do to care for ourselves that are, are terrific. And I think it gets even stickier in a situation like the management of conditions like gestational diabetes. How do we approach the management of that example of gestational diabetes in a way that doesn't contribute to disordered eating behaviors or thoughts? I always say refer out to a dietitian. <laughs> Step number one, but then also one of the big approaches I always take with my clients is first reminding them you don't have this because of anything you ate or did. This is a placenta issue that is the way your body's responding because a lot of people feel, oh, it's something I did or it's something I ate or it's something about my body that I was in control of. And that's why this happened. And then I make it about, so here's all of the things to eat and how we form our meals versus don't eat this, right? That gives us a very different energy, an energy of don't versus an energy of do. And so I try and stick with an energy of do of like, yes, we do need to be aware of our carbohydrates, but it's about how do we eat them throughout the day? So we get enough. How do we pair them and make sure we've got plenty of other things on our plate so that we're not hungry, we're fed and baby is fed. So I make all of that education about here's all the things we're going to be eating to take care of you versus you need to stay away from these things, which just gives a little bit of an icky vibe. I love it. I love the do. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how to do instead of here's how to don't because the don't just look like we've automatically done something wrong that we stop doing. Exactly. And weight loss is never part of my education because that could do nothing. It might not be necessary. It's definitely not helpful. And so it's not even a part of my education at all. I don't ask them anything about weight. It doesn't matter to me. It's all about, okay, so how do I make sure you're getting enough food, including enough carbohydrates so that everyone feels good? And I get so many moms in who get the diagnosis and are just barely eating carbs now because they're so terrified. It's just about giving them the tools of, okay, so I might need to eat my carbs differently, but it's not about avoiding or restricting. Right. What other special considerations are there for pregnant or postpartum women in eating disorder recovery? So somebody who's had an eating disorder is doing well, is going through pregnancy, is in recovery. Tell us a little bit about that journey with that person. Sure. I always put it out there that even if things go into remission in pregnancy, or even if we've been in recovery for a while, we need to be checking in in postpartum, especially statistically, if we have a history of an eating disorder, regardless if it's active or not in our pregnancy, there is a significantly higher risk of it recurring in the first year postpartum. And you couple that with women who have had a history of an eating disorder have a 30% higher risk of developing postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. That can be a really risky time for women. 
And so that is a very big consideration for women. If you have struggled ever, even if it's been years, there's just that risk when we couple changes in hormones, changes in body, changes in just your ability to feed yourself, because now you have this other little human that you are in charge of feeding and it's a lot and it's a life change. And at one time we used eating disorder behaviors to manage really stressful situations. So the risk of those creeping back in really comes up. That I think is something very unique to the eating disorder population is just these multiple increased risk factors for them with mental health and their eating disorder. Absolutely. One of the things we haven't discussed directly is if a mom is breastfeeding after giving birth, that's a whole other body adventure. Oh my gosh. Yes. How do you think about that in terms of eating sort of recovery and the hormone shifts and the weight shifts and all the stuff that comes with breastfeeding? What, what considerations should we be thinking about for our moms that are in eating sort of recovery there? That's such a great question because I keep it super individualized. So I know for a lot of moms who have had an eating disorder, breastfeeding can feel like a very uncomfortable journey, which even if you hadn't breastfeeding is wild and uncomfortable for some women, I think there's a big pressure to breastfeed. I've seen that happen a lot. And it's one thing if you're all in it, you're game for it. Great. But if it's a trigger for your eating disorder, if it's a trigger for anxiety and depression, fed is best. Like that's what I tell my moms is If you are feeling like there's nothing about this breastfeeding journey that is helpful for you, is there an alternative? Can we talk to your OB or your doctor about this isn't helping me or supporting me? I think I want to transition to formula. So that's definitely something I talk to them about. But then also when we have a mom who really is committed to breastfeeding, that's something that they want to do is talking about very openly, what is it bringing up for you in terms of body image concerns, the increased nutrition needs that happen when you're breastfeeding? It's significant. I don't think women realize how many extra calories you need to breastfeed. It's more than in pregnancy. And you couple that with this pressure that comes with dieting after you've had a baby those things can't exist together. This idea of creating breast milk, feeding this baby, supporting myself nutritionally and dieting, those things don't go together and are going to create really a perfect storm of pain and discomfort. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes me think too, of the clients that I've worked with who are nervous, like they've maybe they've heard a little bit about this wild ride that is eating the amount of food you need to breastfeed, which is indeed spectacular. The fear, right. That makes a lot of sense. The fear that people have either, you know, newer or, or later in recovery is like, well, then how will it be if I don't get to eat that much food or when I go to eating less and how will that feel? And okay, I can accept I have to eat a lot, but what about when I have to eat less? Will that feel restrictive? Will I freak out there? Have you had those kinds of conversations with clients? I have, and it gets so tricky when we have these big shifts and nutrition, and I try and get them back to a place of checking in with our body, which can be hard after we've had a baby. So especially clients who maybe we've done great work with that, you then go through a pregnancy and delivery and you're like, I don't know this thing is body anymore. It doesn't always feel like mine. It's now in charge of this other human. 
and to try and come back to center in some words of just how do we honor our body and knowing that our hunger and fullness might fluctuate at times. And if we're feeling restrictive, trying to tap into the why of that, does it feel restrictive because I'm hungry or is it more, I feel restricted because it's just not the same amount of food I was eating before and really trying to identify the physical and the mental things and how those are overlapping. Yeah, I think that's great advice. One of the things that we haven't really touched on at all that we talked a bit about in your bio is this yoga piece. Now I'm super curious about how that informs your practice and work with new moms, newly pregnant, postpartum pregnancy. Say a little bit more about where does the yoga piece of your approach come in? Sure. I've loved that I've been able to bring it in. I got my yoga training just years ago before I had even finished going through my clinicals and everything like that. And to see how it's kind of morphed now has been really fun. I would say it's mainly used for check-ins is how I mainly use it, like physical check-ins, body scans, and regulation through any eating disorder work, whether you're pregnant or not, we get dysregulated. There's anxiety learning to do check-ins with your body physically can be just huge work in general, but especially in pregnancy and postpartum, there's just so many triggers to our stress and anxiety. And so I really use yoga for practicing breath work of just, I'm realizing I'm not breathing. I'm realizing my chest is tight. I'm realizing I'm feeling very stressed and activated. Is it possible for me just to sit in a chair and do five belly breaths and just check in for a minute. I'm now postpartum and I'm trying to work on reconnecting with my body. Can I do a 10 minute body scan where I lay down and I just go from head to toe and just try and notice what I'm feeling in my body. Am I holding tension anywhere? And then I also use it for a lot of my moms who have really struggled with maybe excessive exercise or movement as part of their eating disorder of shifting, okay, how can I move my body in a way that is not for calorie restriction or for punishment, but how do I move my body in a way that might connect me in a loving way to my body? And so those are really some of the main ways that I've brought yoga into this work. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I just want to lift up too that for some people in recovery, the experience of being pregnant is amazing because they are able to connect with their body in exactly that way you're talking about. Like when I check in with my body, I'm pretty amazed at what it can do. And that body appreciation, which have, you know, for a lot of people is so different than how it felt earlier during the eating disorder, before the eating disorder, whenever around uh, sort of not having that and having the body be the object of so much uh, despair or disdain that it isn't of a beautiful thing about recovery for many people to be able to say, wow, yeah, look at this journey. I'm going to go on with my body and it sure has gone through a lot with me. And now we're going to do this together. How awesome is that? I love it. I really do love that. And I think that's why we, it's not uncommon to see remission from eating disorders and pregnancy, because there is that sense of this is kind of a cool thing <laughs> that's happening. And for some of my clients, it's the first time they've had body appreciation. And we really try and hold that as much as we can and bring it with us into postpartum. I talk a lot about that of, if I'm lucky enough to get them while they're still pregnant before we get into postpartum of 
let's go ahead and see if we can put down this idea of pre-baby body because that doesn't exist. We're never pre-baby anymore. <laughs> and what can we still appreciate in postpartum, right? Just because you're not pregnant anymore, what can we still appreciate and remember from that time and still carry with us? You know, even if it's that, oh, okay, now I appreciate that I'm able to feed my baby with my body. Or if you're not breastfeeding, maybe it's that I appreciate that my body allows me to like get out and go on a walk with my baby, you know? So still finding and holding space for appreciation that we, we can find in pregnancy. And how can we bring a little bit of that into postpartum? I love it. I totally love it. I wonder if we can close by thinking, here's my scenario. I want, I want you to think of what comes to mind of a whole group or one newly pregnant person who has a history of an eating disorder or disordered eating. So newly pregnant, excited, maybe a little nervous about this eating disorder history, disordered eating history, a little uncertain, excited, uncertain. What message would you give them about navigating this really incredible life event? Be as open to discussion as possible. (laughs) Is someone out there who has training in these things? And if there's anything you're feeling anxious about, to speak on it. And I think that's the big thing is that a lot of women don't say these things out loud. Is there something uncomfortable or something that they're worried about, but they chalk it up to, oh, I shouldn't bring it up, or this is normal or whatever we talk ourselves into. And to be as open to talking with a provider as possible and someone who's trained in that area, whether it's a, you know, pregnancy postpartum dietitian or a perinatal therapist or your OB, you know, but voice it. The more we can bring it out into the light, the more often we can do something really productive about it. Oh, I love it. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much for that image. It is say it out loud. Yeah. Take its power. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, Katie, thank you so much for sharing with us today and for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I feel like I could talk about this stuff just forever and ever. I know we're just going to hang up forever. (laughs) If you enjoyed today's episode of piecemeal, please subscribe, rate, or leave a review on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen, learn more about us at emilyprogram.com and veritascollaborative.com or search Emily program and Veritas collaborative on social media. Piecemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening.